Thank you, worship team, leading us in those songs of focusing upon God and his grace towards us and his power to save. I uh, appreciate that. Those songs just uh, drew me uh, to love the Lord our God more. Please uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. We read in James chapter 4, these two verses, uh, short, short passage, so therefore short sermon this morning. God said in his word, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to look into this pervasive sin that is characteristic of not only mankind, but also often, more often, too often. It is characteristic of us. Lord, we pray that as we study this subject of judging one another, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Show us not only our own sins, but Father, we pray as we've sung this morning, show us more of who you are. And Father, as we know more of who you are, may you cause us to be less like ourselves, but to be more like Jesus Christ, who purchased us with his blood. Father, this we pray for your glory in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If we were to ask ourselves uh, what is perhaps the most well-known or universally known verse in the Bible, I think many of us would agree that it is John 3.16, right? Uh, Let's that passage go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's a very... That's a very well-known verse. Uh, I see that uh, it's, uh, we probably all memorize it at some time in our life. We teach it to our children. Uh, we flash it up in, I don't see it these days, but we used to flash it up in football stadiums all the time. Uh, but it is a well-known verse. Now, there's another verse, of course, that I believe comes pretty close. That people probably quote just as often. They might not know the reference of it. Oh, but we are sure to quote it. You and I are probably sure to quote it, or other people are sure to quote it, whenever we get into a particular situation. 
And that situation is when someone points out something that is maybe wrong or sinful about our lives. At least we, we feel like that's what they're doing. And that verse that we quote is, Jesus wept. No, okay. It's do not judge. Do not judge. Or as those of us who have the King James or some of the other versions, judge not. Okay, judge not. We, this comes from Matthew 7, 1, right? Judge not, Jesus said, that you be not judged. While it is true that uh, many interpret this command wrongly, uh, in which we'll look at today, we, we cannot miss the fact that Jesus gave this command. He gave this command in the midst of a very important sermon, one of his most well-known sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, in between sections of Scripture, passages of different subjects that were equally as vitally important, such as seeking first the kingdom of God, and then the importance of constantly praying and depending upon God. That Jesus teaches his disciples on this subject of do not judge confirms for us what you and I already know. What you and I already know is that mankind, we, have a problem with judging one one another. We all fall into the tendency of judging others. I know we can relate, particularly when we are on the receiving end of being judged, right? We all feel the indignity of being judged by someone. We say, who are you? What do you say? Who do you have to tell me that I'm like this or I should be doing that or this or that, we feel. But would we readily acknowledge that we too can be on the giving side of it, that we too can judge others? And if you remember the pain that you felt when you were unfairly judged, how others might feel when we do the same. There's a saying that goes, most of us are umpires at heart. We like to call balls and strikes on somebody else. And that's true. Today's passage that we look at serves as an admonition for us as believers in Christ. This is for us who are believers, those of us who are Christians. We are warned here in this passage of the sin of of judging others. Jesus teaches us that. James today teaches us this very important point. It helps us to see this sin of judging one another for the severe transgression that it is. And I trust that it will motivate us to put it off, to put it aside from our lives. Now, in the context of James, this passage fits in with the greater theme of the faith that works. Faith that works is a faith that does not judge one another, does not judge one's brother. This passage follows James' teaching on the source of conflicts and quarrels that we looked at last week. And source of conflicts and quarrels was, we found, was ourselves. As our selfish pleasures and our sinful pride lead to those quarrels and conflicts with others, it is very natural for us in the midst of those conflicts to do what? To judge the other person. To say, oh, they're, oh, they're just a sinner. Oh, they're just, you know, they're probably not walking with the Lord. Oh, you know, they, they might not be even a believer. We tend to judge those who we get into quarrels and conflicts with instead of perhaps better trying to understand them, understand why we may be having quarrels and conflicts with them, and understanding ourselves. So James teaches us this morning why it is wrong to respond in this often natural way. 
in these short two verses that we looked at this morning, we're going to see two reasons to not slander and judge one another. We know it is, it is easy to do. It is uh, quite a, it is common even in our world today. Uh, just if we turn on the news, we've probably seen it happen quite regularly. But for us as believers, God, James, God gives us two reasons why we ought not to slander and judge one another. So let's take a look at these two uh, reasons, and, and I trust it will be a, a time of uh, encouragement to ourselves, and even as we, uh, in, I, I trust that you won't walk away feeling, oh, I'm, I'm innocent, I, I don't do that, okay, but we're all going to walk away. My handling this batch this, this week has uh, really just uh, shown me my own sin, and I trust that God's word would do the same for you as well, uh, that we'd walk away uh, clinging on, holding on more to the, the grace of God uh, that is in Christ. Let's look at number one. Number one, first of all, you ought not to slander and judge one another because in doing so, you would not be a doer of the law. You would not be a doer of the law or a doer of the word. Let's see how James develops this point. James begins in verse 11 with a command. A command, he says, do not speak against one another, brethren. Once again, uh, we, <clears throat> we notice that James begins a new section within his book by addressing his readers as brethren and then giving a command. And James is full of commands, but oftentimes, he'll st- every once in a while, he'll start brethren and then give a command. And that's what he's doing here. Now, <clears throat> we've seen it many times already, and we've talked about it in the very first sermon we talked uh, in our introduction. But I want to say it again, the significance of this word brethren. James is appealing to his readers as not just those whoever that as those who has those whoever who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but as those who are defined by our Lord as those whoever do the will of God, according to Mark three thirty five. Jesus, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? Whoever does the will of God. Jesus defines for us the word Brethren or brothers. Uh, it's masculine, but it's a, a word that refers to one's siblings. These are those who are part of the family of God. I read, in fact, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I read a, oh, and before I talk about what I read this week, those part of the family of God are those who will do God's will. And so when James gives a brethren and he gives a command, it's kind of a further emphasis. Like, remember, this is what you are as brothers and sisters of the body of Christ. You will obey this command. You do this will. I read this week uh, a Gospel Coalition tweet. Oh, boy. I can't believe I'm actually quoting a tweet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this is the world we live in. <clears throat> the Gospel Coalition uh, tweeted out, We shouldn't pretend that the moral requirements of Scripture are optional for Christians. And if I just kind of link to a very fascinating article, and I encourage you to go take a look, look at it. You can check my tweet out for that. I retweeted it. But... <clears throat> And the article basically says that there's an increasing number of professing Christians are declaring morally permissible what traditionally Christians have considered morally wrong. Those things that are taught in scriptures as morally wrong, more and more so professing Christians are saying, these are now morally permissible. It's okay to do these things as Christians. And that is a shocking thing. It ought not to be for Christians to say, well, these things in God's word, you know, they're, they're optional. They're okay if you do it. When we come across these commands in scriptures, like we see here in verse 11, let's not just read them as suggestions, but as God's authoritative will for our lives. 
You know, the world may reject them. That's what we were like. We were in the world. But as Christians, we are not. We are brethren. We are Jesus' mother, brothers, and sisters who do the will of God. And this is the will of God. Christians are to be doers of God's word. Now, as to the command here particularly, it is stated as a prohibition. It's a do not command. And that command says, do not speak against one another. This command, speak against, uh, or involves our, again, once our, our speech. James has a lot to say about speech, right? We ought to be slow to speak. And talks about how we, our speech, our tongues need to be controlled, need to be bridled, need to be tamed. Then AS version, translation here translates the word as speak against. Some of your versions have different translations. You speak evil, or some may say slander. The speak against uh, is a literal translation of this word. It is so, but, it is, a, it is a general translation, and it can be misunderstood to include all types of speaking against. Just as if we speak, oh, like, I don't like uh, that political candidate. Whoa, you've judged them. You've spoken against him or her. That would be wrong, according to if we took that general, transla- general in translation. But the Greek verb itself, let's want to kind of nail down what this word means. The Greek word appears five times in the New Testament, significantly three times in this verse. Each time it's translated as speak against. But if we look at the two other times, 1 Peter 2.12, 1 Peter 3.16 of this word and how it's translated, it's translated as slander. Slander. If we look at its related nouns, which appear only three times in the New Testament, Romans 1.30, 2 Corinthians 12.20, 1 Peter 2.1, it's also translated as a form of slander, slanderer, slander as a noun. And so it's odd when we come here and the translators of, ES, of the NAS choose Speak against. Understanding that they probably tried to keep it general, to uh, they probably they probably reflected a um, a difference of opinions within the translation committee. Uh, so they chose the broadest, most literal, general word that they could use that would fit uh, within their their discussion. But if you look at the when we talk, talk about in our in our Sunday school class, we just talk about how do what do words mean in the, in the Bible? Words are defined by how they're used. And so when we look at how the Bible uses this word, it uses it as slander everywhere else. And so when we come to this class, pastors, then the command to to not speak against someone or one another is a command to not slander one another. Don't slander one another is what James is saying here. The prohibition is against slandering. One uh, commentator defines it as speech that is both inaccurate and also damaging to someone's character and reputation. Uh, Sometimes we call it defamation these days. But slander is a good biblical word. 1 Peter 2, verse 1 tells us and gives us this general instruction to put aside all slander. But James here, however, focuses on not slandering one another. He means, he's, he means to teach us to not slander our fellow brothers and sisters. The remainder of our verse tells us why we ought not to slander our fellow brother or sister in Christ. And we look at the corollary of this in the second part of verse 11. That he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. The mention of brother twice here in this verse confirms that this involves sin against a fellow believer. 
This is sin, sin against one's brother or sister in Christ. James further elaborates slander as against a brother by relating it to the phrase, judge his brother. Now, the word judge here appears in these two verses six times. A total of six times. It's quite a bit, making it a very a key word of this passage. Now, uh, and this is the main, because it's a key word of the passage, it becomes the main idea. And that's why I didn't try to let, you know, faith works, a faith that does, faith in Jesus Christ doesn't slander one another's brother, but faith doesn't judge one's brother. This is the main idea. Uh, this word, and I want to spend some time here for, so, uh, another word study. We're doing a lot of word study here. That's good, uh, good application of our, uh, Sunday school, uh, on how to study the Bible. What does this word mean? We throw it around quite a bit. Judge not. Do not judge. What, do, what does the Bible mean when we say do not judge? Now, the word has actually several nuances. And it can mean any one of these. It has the same general idea of discerning, discerning, but it has these connotations. Number one, to decide, to prefer, to evaluate, to hold a view, to make a legal decision, uh, to condemn, and to rule. So they're somewhat related, but they're different aspects of this side, of this idea of looking, evaluating at something, and then making a decision, and then either saying something good or something's bad, or saying that something uh, is innocent or something's guilty or someone's guilty. And so these are all kind of different aspects of that. Now, when we look at the context of this verse, of verse 11, verse 11, 12 particularly, it would immediately eliminate for us nuances 1, 2, and 4. Okay, so that's just, you know, when you look at that, I think it eliminates verse seven, number 7 too, but uh, we'll allow, it's, a, it's allowable, it's allowable, though it kind of is a stretch. Anyways, so 1, 2, and 4 are now. So really, this word, when we say judge not, either means evaluate not, it means make a legal decision or not, that is to declare whether someone's innocent or guilty or not. Six, it is to, uh, forbidding us to condemn someone. Or seventh, is forbidding us to rule over someone. And you can uh, kind of think about that, how that fits in this passage. And the context, it could, it could fit. These particular views could fit in the context. So we need to further look further or more around in the scriptures. When, when James, as he, he teaches in, this, in his word, he is often quoting Jesus. Isn't he? He, often he's referring to what Jesus is saying or Jesus is teaching. And the passage which we all know and which we've looked at already but want to look at more closely today is Matthew 7, verse 1 through 2, where Jesus says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So we're applying here the analogy of faith, right? The interpretation principle called the analogy of faith. We're looking at other places in Scripture to interpret for us what this passage means here when James says, do not speak or judge a brother. As we look at this passage, this particular mention here of the standard of measure, it will be measured and it will be measured to you, kind of gives us another clue. It definitely talks about that of evaluating, that of using something to, to measure people by, an evaluation of persons. So that for it kind of keeps out, crosses out nuance number seven, okay? And you, by the way, if you want that a little later on, you, know, you can just uh, buy a good Bible dictionary or you can ask, email me, I'll send it to you. Now, so we're left then to with evaluate, to make a legal decision, 
or to judge. Those are all possible. It really, to evaluate and to make a legal decision are very similar. They're essentially, one is very le- a legal decision. You're innocent or guilty. And the other one's evaluating, say, oh, you're good or bad. You know, that's, so they're pretty similar, but one definitely has a more legal connotation to it. And then the third one is to condemn. Which one does Jesus and which one does James forbid us to do? Most of us are often, many people often, will misinterpret this and believe that Jesus is forbidding us to judge in the sense of evaluating or making a judgment, making a legal decision. However, Jesus is not forbidding us to evaluate, nor is he forbidding us to make a judgment of others with regards to sin. Even later in the context of Matthew 7, particularly verse 5, Jesus will talk about removing the speck from a brother's eyes. Of course, first, when we, after we've moved, removed the log from our own eyes. But he does give us the legitimate right or responsibility to help a brother remove the speck from their eye. And to do that, to remove the speck from them, requires us to evaluate. Evaluate, so, oh, that is sin. We look at God's word. We say, oh, yes, that is sin. That is, would not be right. So it's, it's, Jesus himself is not forbidding that. He, in his own immediate context, teaches us so. To remove a speck requires evaluation. In fact, the scriptures call us to evaluate others and ourselves, one another, quite often. Matthew eighteen seventeen calls the church to judge the sins of members within the body of Christ and then to take appropriate action. Matthew 7, verse 15 to 20, believers are called to judge the doctrinal teachings of, of those who are teachers and preachers, see if they're false prophets or not. 2 Corinthians six fourteen, the do not be yoked, unequally yoked with unbelievers means that we must judge if others are believers or not, especially, you, you know, you're, you're judged, you're the person, your fiance before you marry them. Is this person a believer? You know, well, hopefully you judge that before then, but you have to make a judgment. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 13, about the qualifications of elders and deacons and deaconesses involves the church evaluating and judging whether a person meets these qualifications or not. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, the uh, believers are to judge whether people are being unruly or faint-hearted or weak because depending upon who they are, we treat them accordingly, differently. So hopefully you would see and would agree, but if you like a brain, go check it out. The to judge not here is not a forbidding prohibition to evaluate or, or to make a judgment about someone's sin in their life. But it is to judge here particularly emphasizes and forbids us to condemn a brother. To judge here means to condemn a brother as being wrong in the sight of God. That's what condemn. It's the legal declaration of saying, no, this person is guilty. This person is a sinner. This person is evil. This person is bad. Because of whatever they're, what they're doing. And particularly to judge, declare someone guilty and liable to punishment, not by God's standards. That is allowable to say, as we look at God's word, said this word, and they look at a person like that person does not match up to God's standards. So we call it, that's are the church responsibility to evaluate even sin of, the, of our fellow members. But we, to judge, condemn someone, it's when we do so by our own standards. Or to do so by God's standards, but they do it wrongly. We do it incorrectly. We declare, we, we declare them guilty when the God's word says they're not, for instance. 
Let me give us some Old Testament and New Testament examples of this so we get clearly what it means to judge one another. Old Testament examples, the best Old Testament examples from Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. The example of Miriam and Aaron. And note that down, kind of read it a little bit later, but I'll read a little bit of a verse for us. It says there in Numbers 12, 1 through 8, that when Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. That word spoke against is why uh, the translator here translates speak against. It's actually uh, the Greek translation, Greek Old Testament translates that Hebrew word as the same word uh, that we have here for slander. That Miriam and Aaron, these were Moses' brother and sister. They had, they basically slandered or spoke against Moses. Why? Because of a Cushite woman. He had married an Egyptian, essentially. He had married an Egyptian, and so they said to him, well, for some reason, because of that, they spoke against him. You know, although, you now we, we may think, well, maybe they remember that, oh, God forbids the, the Israelites to, to marry, intermarry with foreigners. We, we looked at this in Ezra and Nehemiah. And that's, you know, you got, we got the idea of that, but remember, God did not forbid them to marry all foreigners. God forbade Israel to marry the particularly the, for, the foreign nations around them who were particularly known for their idolatry, who were known, God knew that they would lead their Israelites astray. The Cushites were not on the list. It's okay to marry Egyptians. And so, but yet Miriam and Aaron judged Moses for marrying an Egyptian. And because of that, they began to speak against him, slander him. So they probably thought, oh man, he married a foreigner. How can he be qualified to lead us anymore? It doesn't make any sense. They, they slandered and wrongly judged Moses. We do the same. When we judge people based upon their outward appearances, their circumstances, we look at them and we say, hmm, because of the color of their skin, we think they're going to be like this. We think because of their ethnicity, we think we're going to be like that. We make a declaration. We condemn them before we even know anything about them just because of our outward appearance or circumstance or life. You look at a homeless person who's poor, and how many times have us say, oh, probably the drug dealer, was got up in drugs or alcohol, was irresponsible with their finances. It's easy for us to do that. We do that quite naturally. But to judge people based upon outward appearances or circumstances would be wrong. We have a New Testament example. New Testament examples are more plentiful, I think. But one of the clearer examples is that of the Pharisees and the scribes. All throughout the Gospels, remember what they did to Jesus. They slandered him all the time. They judged him all the time. They said, this man is a sinner. Does he not know that he's eating with sinners, a tax gatherers? Look at him. He's casting out demons by Beelzebul. Look at him. If he knew what kind of woman was washing his feet right now. Look at him. Look at his disciples. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Ceremonially wash their hands. The scribes and Pharisees were often quick to judge Jesus and slander him by their own traditions and and their own personal convictions about the law. Another example is that of the Roman believers in Romans fourteen. 
the Roman believers there in Romans 14, where this is the passage that speaks about Christian liberties and particularly about uh, eating meat offered to idols. And some could eat it and some could not eat it because of their, their conscience about the matter. But the Roman believers, whatever side they took, they were essentially judging one another for what, for their particular view. They were those who were, who didn't want to partake, who felt like it was unholy to eat meat offered to idols, were judging those who actually were. So how can you eat this idolatrous meat? This is, this is a tantamount to being idolatrous yourself. And then on the other, and the same thing goes on. Ahead. Those who were, had the liberty and felt that they could eat would look down upon those and say, oh, you're so weak in your faith. How you don't even know that you're allowed to eat these things. And, and committing uh, a, pro, a sin of pride in the process. And what was a matter of conscience and personal conviction that became for the Roman believers a standard for condemnation. Yet sadly, we do the same today. When we judge people for matters of conscience and personal conviction, we we take our own personal convictions that are we strive to arrive at by the principles by applying the principles of God's word wisely to our lives, and we ought to do that, and it's it's good to do that. But what is a matter of conscience and conviction of ourselves that, that, that is particularly deal with those areas that are not explicitly taught or clearly taught in Scripture. When we take our personal convictions and then use them as a standard by which we condemn everybody else, that is wrong. The faith that you have, have to for yourself. Don't use it as a standard and say, you have to come to the same personal convictions about whether I eat meat offered to idols or not. Well, I eat the, or for those of us come out of ancestral worship homes, whether it's okay to eat the chicken that's been offered to grandma and grandpa or great grandma and grandpa after, you know, and then brought back down, incense offered. Is it okay to eat that? Or not? If you have developed a personal conviction from biblical principle, that's good. In fact, that's commendable. But it's, it is not a matter in which you may find others condemnable. If you conclude that you want to glorify the Lord with your clothing on Sundays, you know, you want to wear a suit or you want to wear, you know, the latest uh, trend uh, clothing, that's great. That's commendable. You want to glorify God in whatever you do. Wonderful. But it's not condemnable when others don't do the same, right? What is commendable is not necessarily condemnable as one wise woman in my life says. You see, when you slander and judge your brother, Jesus says, you, you also slander and judge the law. The law here in, that he's referring to refers back to James chapter 2, verse 8. James chapter 2, verse 8 talks about the royal law. The royal law according to the scripture. And that royal law is what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the second great commandment Jesus taught, right? The greatest being love the Lord your God. But the second one that's close to it, is connected with it, inseparable from it, is love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, if you look at verse 12 later, James will switch from brother and one another to the word neighbor. He definitely has the, this, this verse in mind. To love your neighbor as yourself. Significantly, if we look at the second great commandment, which is found in Leviticus 19.18. There in the immediate context, two verses later, 
Leviticus 19.16 says, You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. Even the Old Testament is clear. To love your neighbor is to not slander them. And when you slander your neighbor, then you are not loving your neighbor. See, when Christians slander and judge their fellow believers, we are in essence slandering and judging the law to love our neighbor as ourselves. By your own standard, you have determined that loving your neighbor is not a requirement for you. By your own judgment, you have determined that the command to love your neighbor as yourself is not worth following when we slander and judge our brothers. We violate the law, the royal law. And this leads to James' conclusion in, verse 11, in the last part of verse 11. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Or really, it just says, but a judge. James concludes that the believer who slanders and judges his brother is, in effect, slandering and judging the law to love your neighbor. So a person who, lo- who judges the law in this way, then, is not a doer of the law, but a judge of it, James says. You end up not being a doer. You judge, put yourself as a judge. You don't need to do it. And, you know, of course, today we would say all judges have to obey the law. But in those days, judges were those who would sit, in a sense, over the law. They would evaluate the law. They would sit in authority of the law, over the law. And not be a doer of it. For us, if we are not doers of the law, we act ourselves as judges and condemn people by our own standards. This would be inconsistent with our Christian faith. Back in 122, James had, remember, had written that we are to prove ourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. When we, when we are regularly, if we are regularly judging others, slandering one another, then James is saying, you need a reality check. You may think you're a doer of the law, but you're not. You're not. You're violating God's law left and right when you judge and slander one another. You're, and what's worse is that you've deluded yourself. you deceived yourself. You think that you have a faith that's working, but you have a faith that's not working. And that's a terrible place to be. Doers are to live under God's law while judges live above God's law. I think we all have heard the phrase above the law. We sometimes throw it around. We say, oh, man, when we hear about corrupt politicians or uh, people like that who try to basically skirt the law, we say, oh, they think that they are above the law, right? That the law somehow doesn't apply to them, that they are above it instead of under it. Yes, they think that the law applies to the masses. They think that the laws only apply to them when it's convenient. But when it, when it doesn't apply, then they skirt around the law. They think they're above the law. Is sometimes not what we think. But do you not know, brothers and sisters, we are guilty of the same when we judge or slander our brothers and sisters. When we slander our fellow Christian, we reflect that we think that we are above the law. We think that our standards are what is important more than God's standards. We become judges of the law instead of doers of the law. 
but true faith hears and does the word of God. Let's go to the second reason then. Number one, we, we saw that we ought not to slam and judge one another because we would not then be doers of the law. We wouldn't be doers of it. We'd be violators of it. We'd break the law. We'd become judges of the law. But the second reason that James gives us that why we ought not to slander and judge one another is because you and I are not the giver of the law. We are not the giver of the law, not the law giver, as we'll see in this text. In verse 12, James builds off where verse 11 and leads off. I actually like the translation. I know Annas puts uh, the judge of it, judge of the law. But I just like the phrase that it ends with, and you are a judge. You make yourself into a judge. And off of that, James builds verse 12. If you make yourself a judge, you need to look again, James says. James can then contrasts who we are as believers with who God is as God, as the lawgiver. And he begins with verse 12 with who is God. Who is God? God is the only one. He is the only lawgiver and judge. That's what you see in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. In the Greek here, the emphasis is on the word one. In fact, it begins the sentence, one is the lawgiver and judge. We could translate it literally as the lawgiver and judge is one. Now, for a good Israelites, this also would remind us of, again, once again, the Shema, the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You see, the Israelites were taught by God that though they lived in a fallen world that, had, that believed in many gods, their God is the one and true living God. All the pe- peoples around them who lived, believed in multiple gods. And, and that's even someday, there are still many good number of religions out there that believe in multiple gods. There are a lot of people that think that all the religions are, are, are appropriate. And so, in, this, in effect, believing there are multiple gods. But the Israelites were taught by God that their God was the one God. He is one. He is the only one. He's the unique God. He's the true God. And that's what James implies here for the believers as he talks about not only is they know that there's only one God, but James is also say there's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge in this world. But here you are when you slander and judge, you try to make yourself the judge, is what James is saying. See, when you judge your brother, you make yourself a judge. But in reality, there's this only one lawgiver. There's only one judge, and that's God. God is our judge. God is our lawgiver. You know, <laughs> um, it is, we sometimes you think about it, it's, it's just so funny when we judge one another. We're basically saying, my law, my, my rules, my convictions, my standards somehow need to be applied to everybody else. It's, it's the height of folly and pride. When we do that, but we don't think about it. We just think oh, that's the right thing. But that's what we're doing. We're making ourselves judge, and we're making our convictions the law. In fact, we, almost like we, you know, we need to start passing it out. When did you put it? Write it on you know two stone, stone tablets, and then give it to everyone you meet. Gives us a picture of what we're doing. Anyways, there's only one. Lawgiver, only one judge. Isaiah thirty three twenty two says, "For the Lord is our judge; the Lord is our lawgiver; the Lord is our king. He will save us." 
You know, as a lawgiver and judge, God alone has the right and power to save and to destroy, as James writes. He alone is able to save, and he alone is able to destroy. Now, he's not just talking about our physical lives. James is talking about our spiritual lives, our souls. And we know that Jesus taught in Matthew 10, 28, that God alone is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Mankind, well, we can destroy the body. We can do that. We can use weapons and we, we can destroy one another's body, but we cannot destroy the soul of an individual. Only God can do that. Just, but Howard Justice, God is the only one who is able to destroy the soul and body. God is also the only one who is able to save. He alone is able to save. God alone saves us through the gift of his son. And that's a wonderful truth. I know we are, one of our songs earlier really sung about that truth. He alone saves us. But in contrast to who God is, James then considers the one who judges their neighbor. He contrasts God who is the one lawgiver, the one judge, and he contrasts this to the one who says, who judges their brother, who slanders their brother and, and makes himself to be judge. And we see in the latter part of verse 12, who are you? Well, you, who are you? Who, are, who am I? You are the only man. You are only man, is the point. Verse 12, latter part of verse 12 says, but who are you who judge your neighbor? James ends with a rhetorical question. He doesn't answer it for us. He doesn't give us the answer. We just ask, who are you? Who do you think you are as you judge your neighbor? Here you are judging your neighbor, slandering him or her, and in effect slandering the law of God, making yourself out to be a judge of it. When you are no judge, who made you the judge? Who made your standards? When did your convictions become law for everyone else? Is the point of this question. What qualifies you to be the lawgiver and judge of your fellow brother? When we look at ourselves, if we're honest, we would see ourselves as all being equally guilty. In fact, more guilty because we see our sins very clearly. It is hard to see the sins of others. And as man, we are all under the law of God. Just like everyone else. The humble Christian will know this. The humble Christian who knows who he or she is in the sight of God will know that we are simply sinners saved by grace. We'll not be quick to slander or judge one's brother. It's the proud Christian who is one who is full of themselves, that thinks that they are somehow above the law, would make themselves equal to God, that would dare to judge one another, slander one another. That's James' point here when he says, who are you who judge your neighbor? In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, will write in a similar way in Romans 14, 4, in that same context of the Christian liberties of eating meat off of the idol, he says, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Wonderful truth, just in that passage, in that verse alone. See, it's not 
your job or mine to go around judging God's servants. We, fellow believers, we all belong to God. We're all his servants. The one who judges us is God. It's God's job. And so it is wrong for us to condemn our fellow believer because why? Because the fact is, none of us as believers of Christ are going to be condemned. Every single one of us as believers in Christ, though we are guilty, yes, we are all guilty. Though we are all deserving of hell, yes, we are all deserving of God's justice and wrath, yes, but none of us are condemned. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This wonderful truth. We all we all know John three sixteen. But do we know John 3, 17? For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God, when he sent his Son into the world, Jesus did not even come, who had every right. He is, he will be the, the judge. But he, when he came, did not come to condemn the world, to judge the world. But instead, Jesus came so that we might be saved, that the world might be saved. Our Lord Jesus Christ sets the example for us. He is our example of how we ought to live on this earth. While there is time, there is a judge who's coming, that Jesus, he will return, and he will judge, it's true. So let's not be that judge. While there is time, let us be like Jesus, and let us be ones who show mercy and grace. If you find yourself or even as you thought about it and you find yourself just being convicted of the Lord that you are guilty of judging your brother or sister, then may God lead you to repentance. May you apply even what James taught us in the pre- previous verses to humble ourselves before the Lord, to seek wisdom from above, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to not be quick to show partiality and to make judgments by external appearances. By the grace of God, let's make every effort then to not judge one another, but to love one another. And as we do so, I want to share with us three practical thoughts for us to keep in mind in light of who God is as we judge, as, as we love, not as we judge. <laughs> Number one, we should not judge motives. Only God can read them. It's so easy for us to judge motives. Oh, that person's being malicious there. That person is being proud. That person is, you know, is being greedy. These are, you know, if we can see an outward action, we, we need to, when we make evaluations of people, which we're called to do, whether it's to be, it is by actions that we need to evaluate, not by motives. Unless a person comes up to you and says, well, you know, I have this attitude of pride. Um, help me out. You know, this, oh, that's, well, that's sinful, yes. You know, that, that's a good judgment. But only God can read them. And if only God can read motives, let him judge motives. Our responsibility, even as we, is not to judge, but when we evaluate our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, 
Let's evaluate by actions. Let's help one another to live lives that be, and our behaviors that are good and reflect Jesus Christ. Secondly, we should not judge by appearance. I think we mentioned this already. You know, we don't ought not to judge by appearance. Why? Because God looks at the heart, right? If God looks at the heart, then we should evaluate people by the heart. Now, I know we can't judge or evaluate. We shouldn't judge their motives. But we should always look at the heart more important than what people do, particularly outward appearance. We tend to do, we evaluate people all the time. We condemn people all the time just because uh, nowadays we're a lot more sensitive in our culture. It's true. It's good. It's a good thing. But we can still do it. The color of their skin, their, the, maybe their, their height, their, their weight. We look at the, their jobs. We look at purely external things and we make judgments about them. We ought not to do that. Thirdly, we should not judge by our own personal convictions. We kind of mentioned this as well. Be very careful about it. Personal convictions are great. They're, we're trying to inform our conscience by God's word. We're trying to inform it, trying to develop uh, life choices that honor the Lord. We ask God for wisdom in these kinds of matters. But when God gives us a particular conviction about such things, we should not judge others by our own personal conviction. God will judge people by his word. And when, when we are called to evaluate or make judgments about whether someone is sinning or not, let's not let's strive not to judge them by our own traditions, our own personal convictions, but let's judge and evaluate by the word of God and his word alone. For in that doing, then we let God be judge and not us. So these are three things I just think are very helpful for us as we strive not to judge one another. Not judge motives, not judge by appearance, not judge by our own personal convictions. As we conclude then, I read, uh, uh, or many of you probably this week, read about uh, an individual, I think, on some television show who was found to be, uh, in his past, had been guilty of uh, molesting uh, uh, siblings and young young women, and he was. Uh, this happened when many years ago. Um, and in our, and so immediately, of course, he uh, basically came out publicly, acknowledged that he was uh, wrong, that he has who sinned. Uh, he was apologized uh, to those he hurt and and so forth. And he spoke, and I won't think too much about him, but I, I was very intrigued by the response uh, of our media, and because this person was a professing Christian. And so immediately the media says, well, look at this person. He is one who stands for family values, but yet he does this. And then say, well, and they were con- essentially condemning him because he had committed this sin in the past. Um, you know, that, that to me, I, I realized that is, and we understand as Christians, if he is genuinely repentant, if it sounded like his family tried to resolve it, then there was resolution in some way. I don't know if that's how the story is going to end out. We'll see uh, as you know, more and more stuff brought out. But I thought to me, myself, this is a great example of why we ought not to be judges. Because if we allow ours, if we set ourselves as judges, then in essence, we are inviting the judgment of others as well. Imagine if you and I were judged 
by everyone else. By everyone else. Oh, man. We would not go a week without probably having to resign our jobs, having to come up to, you know, publicly and say, you know, I, I'm sorry. Uh, we probably, some of us would be, a, oh, I don't know, arrested, hope not. But <laughs> the fact is we would all be shamed. We would all be condemned. And that's how it is with men. And they do it unjustly. But when God does it, he does it justly. He would condemn us. He would judge us for our sins. But as we've already thought, it's all we realize. He is the one who is able to save. If you have not repented and turned your place in faith in Jesus Christ, then I encourage you, invite you to do so today. Because that is the only way by which we escape God's judgment. But for those of us who know Christ, praise God. Praise God because we are not judged by him. Instead, we find mercy and grace. So therefore, let us love one another and let us show others the same mercy and grace that Jesus showed to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. And we pray that you would help us to examine our own lives. Show us, Lord, where those areas where we, we are too quick to judge and to slander others unrighteously, to judge people by our own standards, or even to wrongly accuse others by your standards. Father, help us to look more closely at our own selves and help us to look more closely at who you are, that you are the one lawgiver. You are the one judge. Father, we are not the judge. We are not the lawgiver. Guard us from ever thinking that we are. Grant us humility that would see ourselves rightly for who we are. Help us never to be set ourselves above the law, but to recognize that we, as your people, your creation, are those who are under your law. Help us to be people who do the word of God and do the law so that we would reflect Christ. And Lord, we thank you, though, there are times when we fail. And though, yes, even righteous, rightly so, we are condemned by everyone else in this world. We thank you, Father. That in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know Christ, may you bring them to that place where they would receive Christ and know the mercy and grace that is abundantly available in Christ, who came not to condemn, but to save the world. Lord, we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.